Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from ilikehugh.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at ilikehugh.com. Now, let's get started. Welcome to a very special evening presentation of Hugh at Home. I'm Tracy Koga, and we just want to say congratulations to all of the graduates of 2021 and the students who have passed and going on to their next grade in the fall. Congratulations to all of you. It has been an incredible year, and for those of you that have seen it through, it has been, wow, what a roller coaster ride. And we're going to be talking about education tonight. We're going to hear from students, parents, educators, people that are working with peer support for mental health, and figure out what possibly could happen over the summer, Bill 64, and then heading back to school in the fall. What is that going to look like? All right, so let's open the doors to our panelists. We've got such an incredible array of people here tonight, and I was really impressed on the conversations that everybody wanted to have. And look at all the faces. Hello, hello, everybody. You're all on mute. So good to see you. Hi, Felicity. Thank you so much. And welcome, Dami, to this special night. We definitely want to hear from you, too. Hi, Judy Ann. Hi, Mrs. Baxter. But you're going to be Linda tonight, okay? (laughs) Oh, and hi, Fiona. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, We're probably going to have a few more joining us shortly, but uh, um, you know what? I want to start maybe with you, Judy-Ann. I had just sort of in my opening saying congratulations to all of the graduates in 2021 and the students that are moving forward, going to the next grade. Uh, But for you, you're a support teacher. What has it been like since, and I'm going to say it, since 2020, right? It's hasn't really changed. It hasn't. So I I think there's just been a lot of resilience is what we're seeing. Um, A lot of having to be flexible and responsive to what the students need. Um, And that looks different building to building. That looks different classroom to classroom. Um, I think everyone's just been doing their best. And yeah, from 2020, you know, we kind of had that nice little moment where we're back together. But a lot of that time, too, is preparing for just in case. Um, and I'm glad that we did because when the time came, um, we were able to do that pivot within, I think it was 48 hours um, that we were needing to do that switch. Um, so having the students feel more confident in, in connecting online was, it was a huge focus for us. Mentally, though, I guess, judy what has been sort of the climate, I guess, for teachers, for educators on a whole? Um, it's definitely been, I guess, stressful would be the word that I hear exhausted is a lot because on top of just education, there, there's a lot of things as well going on for um, our division and others um, behind the scenes that we've also had to deal with. Um, so there's just been a lot on teachers plate. And I think, you know, we have uh, next week is our, our last week of school. And I think it's a well-deserved break for everyone at this point to just have to kind of kick back and just take a deep breath because I think we really haven't had an opportunity to do that like since last year 
really. It's, it's just been a lot of having to pivot um, on a dime, really. <laughs> oh, no, no kidding. And how has it been, too, like for the teachers to get onto that virtual wagon, right? And I guess trying to have that connection with students, it must, it must be like incredibly hard. It is. Um, with what I found this year, too, is when I was in schools, we have had to do a pivot a couple of times where I'm coming in for um, literacy support or numeracy support. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm helping a new teacher learn how to do remote learning for the first time. And how do you teach remotely? How do you even set up a schedule for your learners for a week to make it consistent? Um, so there's been a lot of just having to, to change that. Um, but it is getting them on the bandwagon. I think people... Um, uh, forget that there are brand new teachers or teachers who were on leave last year who didn't have to do remote teaching at all. And to come back now in sep September or I guess October when we did that first code orange switch and then just that constantly changing every week, you don't really know when your students are coming back, if they're coming back. Um, so there's just been a lot of having to support teachers who have never done it before. Um, and and it, But it is very heartwarming to see the teachers who did do this last year, just kind of take them under their wing give them some tips, give them their schedule. Like, this is how I set it up. It might work for you, it might not, but, you know, come ask me questions if you need any advice, for sure. Uh, so many things. Well, we're going to come back to you, Gideon, because I did want to talk to you about your role as a support teacher and what supports are going to look like moving forward. But I want to introduce everybody to Fiona. Fiona, you probably know a lot of these faces. And I love your title, Healthy Mind Specialist. And boy, oh boy. <laughs> Does that ever take a new meaning over this whole pandemic? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I don't actually know a lot of these folks. I know some of the folks, but I don't know everyone, that's for sure. Um, but thank you so much for having me. I am, as uh, Tracy said, I'm the Healthy Mind Specialist for Winnipeg School Division. So I have a really unique position in the province. I, there's not too many folks that have these positions within school, so I'm very fortunate. So really just focusing on the mental health and wellness of our students, staff and our caregivers in our community. So looking at all the different ways that we could build capacity and support uh, the mental health and wellness of all those folks. So it's been a very interesting, difficult, uh, you know, also a really amazing time to see what people, you know, the resilience and how folks have come together to support one another. So yeah, it has been a year, that's for sure. So thank you for having me. Oh no, so Fiona, I wanna ask how different is 2021 from 2020? Well, I mean, 2020 was also, you know, also challenging because we found COVID. I think for me, um, and the important thing that I keep saying is we've all been in this fight, as probably many of you have been for a really long time with respect to advocating for mental health supports and resources. And as most folks know, Manitoba, we have a very different demographic than a lot of other places in Canada. You know, we have the highest rates of suicide amongst our youth. We have higher rates of substance misuse. You know, we have a lot of, you know, we have highest rates of child welfare. So we've already been having you know, a lot of concerns pre-COVID and then COVID just came and it just exacerbated what was already there. So this year has been um, extremely challenging to say the least. Um, I think we have seen all the resources too that folks would generally go to. I mean, who would have ever thought even McDonald Youth Services Brief Therapy would say, no, we're full. Like we are at 150% capacity. We can't, that's a lot of families very last support, you know? Um, trying to find a counselor in the community for free, almost impossible. Even trying one to find somebody that you could pay for is almost impossible. So the resources are tapped to the max. Folks are tapped to the max. Um, 
So it has been really, really difficult for everyone to be able to get the supports that they needed. And we have seen higher and higher and more exacerbated rates of you know mental health issues and students and families requiring supports and really just not being able to get them like you know places like psych health for our youth we're talking a year wait and that is so like that is so not okay and i i really don't think people know like i don't think the community knows what it really really looks like until you're trying to access that system and it is dead you know it is it's devastating so it's been very very challenging it's been very hard um you know, teachers, school staff, all those folks have been doing amazing, but you're starting to see, you know, it's taken a toll on everybody, right? So it has been probably the most challenging time. I've been a social worker for over 20 years. This has been it. This has been the most challenging time that I have seen. And it's been probably most devastating because all the supports and resources we would usually rely upon are not there. They're just simply not there. And so a lot of people are left with absolutely nothing. And that has been tragic. Oh, well, I don't want to be the downer, but it's true. No, but this is but this is what you know this whole kind of conversation is about is like how has it really been because mm-hmm. nobody else will get that picture, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so and yeah, and what what can we do moving forward? So we'll I want to get into that because that is shocking to me too. And then we have some wonderful mental health peer support workers that mm-hmm. I'm sure their ears are perking up. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done. I want to introduce everybody to Felicity and Dami. They're grade 12 students from Glenlawn Collegiate. And, well, I say congratulations to both of you, but uh, not the grad celebration, right, that you anticipated, right, Felicity? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, there was really a lot of um, unknowns along the way, like just, you know, grad was always in our minds just from the very, very start of the school year. And, you know, as as we approached that day, the week, the anxieties that everyone had kind of heightened. And then there was also this, you know, up and down with the spikes of, of the cases. And so um, right now it's just, I feel like a lot of us are just trying to accept it that, okay, this is what's happening. We have to make the best out of it, right? Um, and I think that same um, attitude also goes for what, we experienced in the school year. I mean, at times we were remote, at times we were in class, and you know there are different pros and cons to those. Um, but really, at the heart of it, we just had to, you know, buckle up and accept it. <laughs> so that that's how I personally felt about that. I know, you know, I know it might have been harder for others or easier for others, but that's my perspective. I just felt like, you know, we have to carry on. Dami, uh, what have you learned through all of this? What were some of the challenges you faced? Um, before quarantine, I was in almost every club. Um, I'd go home like every night at like 8.30. I had volunteering. And all of a sudden, I'm not allowed to do anything. And it was so depressing. Um, because at the beginning, I was like, you know, it's the time to cool down, you know, university is coming, you better just, like, come down and do all my work, but, like, it went on for so long that, like, I even stopped doing my work because I was so unmotivated, and, again, like when I said, I don't want to be the downer, but, like, I know other family, like, had troubles because, like, breadwinners, like, couldn't go to work. So I felt like my problems weren't important enough to like talk to other people about. 
but like it was stressful like my mom works and she's a single mom and the idea of that and she's a support worker so <laughs> with that anxiety oh something might happen to her and then I can't get a job so I can't even support her if something did happen to her and high school and university coming on the way and it was all of this stress coming together and it just I think I went into like a really bad depression for like months so yeah I do like it was tough yeah it was like really stressful and it's just so not fair for a young person like yourself to be having to face these challenges but you know you've probably grown through all of this too Dami right I mean, I have no choice but to grow um, with the time and the responsibility now. So yeah, I am in a way grateful because there's some stuff that I want to have learned about myself mm -hmm. if, it wasn't, if it wasn't for the quarantine and the time alone. So I do appreciate it, but <laughs> I'd rather not that happen again. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so what are plans for both of you after grade 12? Trying to get well, a job, yeah. high school, high school, university. Mm -hmm. Well, personally, I'm headed off to Vancouver. I will be, um, I got accepted to the University of British Columbia, so that's where I'm headed um, after this, which, you know, that's a really, really exciting. That's what I've wanted since I was in grade 10. But there are also anxieties, you know, um, definitely being quarantined for such a long time. And that means I spent so much time with my family this time. And so... I would say I'm actually closer to them now than I ever was. Um, but then I have to move away in the future. And so I kind of have fears about that. Um, I'll be living with my grandmother, but, you know, so that's nice that I have someone, a, real, a close relative that I can um, just have as a kind of a constant. But um, being away from my family for the first time, and especially during a pandemic, it is kind of um, worrying. But... You know, I personally think I just have to stay optimistic and at least things won't be as online as they are. I'm hoping by then <laughs> there's more in-person activity. And so I feel like I'll be more in the mindset to just go and be more positive about everything. Oh, yes. Dami, what would you like to do? What kind of work? Um, I was actually looking into social work. But um, now I'm looking into maybe nonprofit, maybe studying like business or something. Um, in the Nigerian community, your family, your parents choose what you get to do. So like, honestly, passionately, I really want to do social work, but business is what I applied for in university now. So that's what I'm for. Oh, well. We look forward to that, and congratulations again. We're going to get back to you, too, when we start talking a little bit more about, I guess, the future and what university even looks like, too. Uh, I would like now to introduce a very special person. Uh, I guess I'll let the cat out of the bag. She was my former elementary teacher, and we just got reacquainted when a friend of mine connected us because I wanted to do this special and lo and behold, we had a wonderful conversation. Uh, and I did not know everything that she did beyond being Mrs. Baxter uh, at a wonderful elementary school teacher. But she instilled a lot of 
a lot of beautiful qualities in so many students. So, Linda, I want you to meet our, our wonderful panel here. But, and then I said to you, like, you know, I know we're talking about education now, but education as we have known it for so many years is still very important as well. So if you can take us back through a short version of your journey as you becoming a teacher, and there are certain schools that made a real impression on you, and I want you to share those stories. <laughs> you have to unmute yourself, Linda. There I go. I was very careful to stay muted for a while so I could <laughs> listen to all of the others and hear some of their great stories and more up-to-date stories than I can give you. But um, yeah, my story goes back a long ways to the uh, to the early early seventies um, when I began teaching, and I guess um, teaching was always something I wanted to do, as it, it came up as a recurring theme for me. Um, somebody once told me it was because I saw things in it that I thought could be done better, so I decided I would go and try and do it. Um, I'm not sure if I did, um, but I started out with a, a degree in math and science and began teaching in the early 70s. And my first job was in an inner city school and being a, a suburban kid that knew nothing about nothing. The first couple of years, I probably learned as much as I taught, without a doubt. Um, there were days where times were tough and I thought um, they should be paying me double and other days where I thought I should be paying them for what I learned. And I, it was a, a quick lesson to realize that as well as having to know all the things about content and all the things about teaching strategies, you also had to know about, about people. And you, you learned quickly about the influence of culture. It was a multicultural area with, with many immigrants, some of them coming with as refugees. Um, I knew nothing about their backgrounds, but boy, did I have to catch up in a hurry because it was important for us to build relationships. And um, I just listened to a presentation yesterday, and it was, it was basically on trust. And I was taken back to those early days because the, the, the premise of this presentation was that trust is the single most important factor that is cited among people talking about um, who they will choose to work for or who they will choose to deal with in various things in life. And that certainly probably was one of my first lessons in school was that uh, I, I needed to, to build relationships with kids and find out where they were coming from and find out what the situation we were in together looked like from their shoes. And uh, as I did that, uh, things got easier and I think I was able to make them easier for kids too. I was I was really gratified to to hear the, the, the comments about uh, I shouldn't say gratified because they were horrific details, but the comments about mental health issues. Um, it doesn't take long. It has never taken long in education to realize that that's a huge factor in terms of helping kids cope and, and deal with things, and that there are many many things going on in kids' lives um, that aren't. Um, that aren't just the traditional things that are that come under the school heading. And uh, I think uh, talking about some of those and advocating for help in those areas is is absolutely fundamental. Um, I spent a couple of years, as they say, in, in an inner city school, and then I moved out to the to the burbs and met you. 
And um, it was, I mean, you and I both know those were, those were wonderful days. Um, it, it was uh, a very protected little shell we lived in and were able to accomplish all kinds of things. But again, it was getting to know kids and finding out about them and, and getting to know families that, that made a big difference. And uh, uh, one of the best things that happened to me was um, a parent coming in and saying, thank you for what you've done for my kid, but thank you for your values. I was glad my kid was, kids were exposed to you. Uh, holy smoke. That wasn't the part I knew <laughs> that I thought I was uh, working on bringing to the classroom. And it wasn't probably till I had my own kids that I realized how really, really important that was. Um, I, I like to th say I went back and forth. I, I was very fortunate in my career going from higher needs schools to not so high needs schools. And I learned that each has their, their personality, each has their culture, and each has something to learn from the other one. And I was able to take things back and forth and try and, and, and share some things that I hoped would make uh, kids a little bit better equipped when they went out into the world. Um, it, my, my last school was probably, probably my favorite. I went into a, an extremely high needs school that was really struggling. And I spent time there trying to, to develop a staff and work with them and work with, with the community who really, somebody said, that community won't help you the way some of the communities you worked in. And I discovered that they wanted to help. Some of them didn't know how. So there was a whole different level of work with the community to help people and realize how many strengths they could bring to the table too and how they could work as partners. And that led ultimately to my moving to a job in the in the board office in the first St. Patel School Division and then Louis Riel School Division. And I spent a dozen years there as an assistant superintendent. And, and again, trying to, uh, I guess the most fun of it all was trying to work with people, getting to know people and looking at how you could bring them what they needed and link them up with resources that would help them um, help them help kids. The ultimate, uh, the ultimate customers are always our kids. Uh, and, and that's such a, a huge component. But in order for kids to, to get all that they need, you have to empower and support teachers. Um, you have to empower and invite parents to the table to be partners. And it's really, it's a people business and it's a close contact business where you are working to create the conditions and provide everybody with a desire to, to be a leader in it. I think, uh, you know, you're, we have some students on your, on your team tonight and they're exercising some great leadership skills and, and are saying that they have learned some even through the pandemic. And I think it, it, it's all about leadership, no matter, no matter which group you look at, but it's also about working together. And uh, those are the things I've learned. I've, I've been retired for over a dozen years now. Um, when I left, I said I was becoming part of a cheering section. And much as I'm very, very glad that I was not on the front lines during the pandemic, 
I've also been very grateful that I've had the opportunity to to continue to watch and to be part of the cheering section and and as much as possible be a a, a vocal advocate for for um, education moving ahead and being supportive and doing all the things that we need it to do for kids to be to leave our to leave public school um, with the tools that they need to move on and make a contribution to the world and enjoy their lives. Wow. Well, I want to come back to you again, Linda, because we want to. I want to learn more about this Bill sixty four. I read a little <laughs> bit today. <laughs> I, I see some smiles. Ah, oh, Susie, uh, you had your son's graduation, and you know you told me. Yes, it's in the playground or whatever, social distance, and they have a set time that they can come and get their diploma. What was that like? Well, I think, you know, it's a testament to, uh, to teachers and to just how they are so dedicated to doing whatever they can to um, make things as normal as possible as they can for these, these kids that are graduating this year. And, um, you know... Uh, it was hard in the sense that, of course, he wanted to be with his friends. But mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, when they were playing online that afternoon, they were all chatting about, you know, what their uh, what their five minute session was and when they got their diploma and they were just doing the best that they can to, you know, be kids. And uh, it was um, it was a difficult um celebration it was a low-key celebration but uh we also booked their second vaccinations this week so that gives me hope as well and i think that as we've always said you know as we do virtual hue that people are doing the best that they can with what they've got you know yeah well and then how how was family life too because you had to do the whole pivoting you had all of your kids at home they all needed the laptops they all needed the wi-fi and the internet um, it's, it's, you know, although yes, there, there, we do have privilege, but it is, it is still really hard. Oh yeah. I think it's been hardest on my youngest. Um, she definitely wants to go back to in class. She misses her friends. She misses face to face. Um, the older ones adjusted a bit better, but adjust is is not the right word for it right like they they dealt with it i guess is the better way to say it um so i think that um yeah and absolutely you're right we are fortunate enough to have wi-fi we were fortunate enough that the kids had you know uh able access to computers and things like that um and not everyone has that and i think that you know again that goes back to uh the inequities that became really apparent during this uh, pandemic and especially when it came to technology and kids having equal access to um getting their schoolwork done and even just connecting to their classes um, I think that uh, that should give us pause for uh, future planning and resource planning in terms of um, uh, internet access and how we um, adapt learning for mm -hmm. different environments. And I don't think that we can assume that everybody has the same access. So that that's a fallacy that I think um, is um is floating around out there by the powers that be and people in positions of authority. And that needs to be disavowed because that's not necessarily the case out there. And so when you, when I think about the single mother who has to go to work or has to go to her job and her kids are at home learning by themselves, 
that is not the same as what I'm dealing with. I'm able to work from home. Not everyone is. And there are challenges uh, for just childcare, even, you know, um, we need a national childcare program. This pandemic has proved that. And not just for, um, you know, for school age children, but, you know, for before and after and all of those things that go into play. And we're seeing that now, even with summer camps this summer, parents, I I can see online already, people are scrambling, thinking, what am I going to do with these kids in the summer? Because I need to put them somewhere, I still have to work. So, those challenges are not going away and um, we need to address the underlying issues that lead to those inequities. Yeah, most certainly. Yes, I know summer camps. Well, here we are almost like what, a day and a half before we can reopen. Uh, Things will open up, you know, somewhat. Rana, you have relatives that are teachers. You've seen them, lived with them, seen what they've gone through. and your observations on uh, the toll that it's taken on them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, we're so lucky to have the virtual chat uh, throughout the pandemic uh, to, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, chronologically see how they were moving through their journey as teachers. And, you know, you know, at the beginning, you know, there was a little bit of hope. And as time went on, it was much more difficult. Uh, you know, I, the, the levels of stress, um, you know, the, the absolute fear of the fact that the, the teachers were not one of the first groups of people vaccinated when we were sending children, hundreds of children at times in series or in, in different cohorts at a time. You know, like I know my sister, my sister was seeing I don't know how many kids. You know, uh, and sometimes, just like Susie said, a kid could have a cough and mom can't keep them home. So a kid is actually sick and going to school. And you have these teachers who, you know, can barely, barely force some of the kids to even put a mask on. You see what I'm saying? So there was, there was a lot. So it, it was quite upsetting. But, um, you know, I, I was speaking to a school, uh, Bruce Middle School, you know, doing they had a, this really amazing, like, had a bunch of leaders on and a bunch of different people on and we, we were just kind of talking to all the kids and just having a lot of fun with them uh via zoom and some were in class and um you know i was just mentioning to them you know despite all of this um you know some like there's a there's a lot of history that, that's been made throughout this like there's a lot of history that's been made and you know when people talk about these days um hopefully it will be uh in through a lens that is um, going to start to kind of filter down to the reality of, of what teachers actually go through on a day-to-day basis. Uh, these expectations, that, and I'm sorry, I'm just speaking from like, you know, and, and it's not just my family, obviously, like I know we know a lot of people who are in the education, but, you know, the expectation that teachers are, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the, the psychologists, everything under the sun, um, every single day when they go to school, I mean, no, <laughs> sorry, you know, there's, that's not, that's not their role. That's not their job. Um, you know, they're there to teach your children something and both parties have, you know, a responsibility to make sure kids are coming to school equipped. But like Susie said, um, when you have parents stretched so thin, um, and they're unable to do what they have to do on their end, or they are doing all that they can do, but they're just, you know, they don't have the access or the technology or whatever resources they require 
just due to inequalities, um, you kind of have this system um, that is just kind of a self-perpetuating system that will never work. So you have a few different categories that have to be resolved. You know, always a shout out to the teacher, teachers. Um, you know, we're talking about education. We're talking about school. I, I refuse to not mention the fact that I, you know, that there were 715 babies found on residential schools, schools um, by people who are supposed to be teachers. Um, the list goes on and on. I mean, obviously, I'm wearing orange shirt. Obviously, I have one hung outside my house, have one hung outside my car. Um, I would simply encourage people to, that's the bare minimum. <laughs> that's the bare minimum, right, to just show some solidarity. Um, there's a lot of families who are reeling right now, just absolute trauma. So um, I hope that the teachers and all these people who are teachers and they know that responsibility that they hold every day. Could you imagine ever having that type of thing happen to your child or your students? Probably not, right? So I hope everyone's self-reflecting during this time, especially when we're thinking about education because they're very much related. Yeah. Sorry, that's all, that's all I'm gonna say about that. But um, you know, I have to, I do have to jump off earlier, but I just wanna give a shout out to all the teachers, all the teachers. Um, you know, and for all you did and for the for the support and the beauty that you guys showed and the patience through the through all the government government challenges and through all the different bills and all that nonsense. You guys are the absolute amazing, most amazing humans, you know, so I salute you always. <laughs> we love you, Rana. You always speak from I'm gonna the jump heart. Off. It was really nice seeing everybody. OK, take care. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. Well, that's definitely a. a, a another you know thing to ponder on and Linda you know so eloquently said that she learned so much from the kids and then tried to teach it and spread it onwards um, let's talk about mental health because that is a big proponent too of education and I think that should be first and foremost in our education but uh, Robin and Charlotte, that's uh, your, your peer support um, people. Uh, you share lived experience. How important do you see it now? We've heard from Fiona. Uh, you know, she says things are really bad. You know, how important would peer support work for students and teachers? Um, well, I, I don't think it's just students and teachers I think there's a big component with families too right mm -hmm. so and that's Charlotte's that's Charlotte's side of our business but like having developed some youth peer support stuff with youth for youth not just some old person going here yeah, let's develop this for you um and I I think it's critical like we just came off of uh, running some training for a youth organisation and there was a stack of young people there. I think the youngest may have been 16, um, you know, until like they were kind of ranging late teens, early 20s and looking at them talk about the camaraderie that they got to be able to share their experiences with other kids who, who had some skills like when we train them about how do you share your story without like re-traumatizing others was just i think it's critical i'm like why are we not doing this the research says 
peer support, decreases people's um, like hospitalizations, decreases use of services, increases people's coping skills. Like I'm like, it's not rocket science. I've got some research where kids before peer support and adults, um, you know, had lots of like what people may call negative emotions, worried, alone, hopeless, after peer support, they were happy, felt more optimistic. And the, the stats are huge. I'm like, this is not rocket science. And I mean, we looked at doing some peer support for, for teachers last year, and we had some free stuff up and teachers were saying, we don't have time. We're scratching ourselves trying to like pivot and turn. We'd love to be able to talk to each other, but we just don't have the capacity or time. That's what I heard again and again and again. And I think, you know, if we're going to look at it, we have um, some time now when to, to actually take a think and build for the future. And I think that's one of the frustrations for me. We never built for the future. We never built for the resilience of kids and teachers. Not that we ever dreamt a pandemic would come, but we didn't build that in. And then all of a sudden the world exploded and everyone went, oh, oh, what do we do now? And and people were just so busy trying to catch up day to day with the changes. I, I'm hoping that we have some capacity to build for the future now and, and build structures in education that support whatever happens in the future. And I know, you know, and I'm sure Charlotte will say about this too, I love the fact that we're at least starting to do some stuff about like teaching kids resilience and, you know, things like this and the thrival packs, or I forget what they're specifically called. That's great. But don't forget the parents. The parents are the ones that kids go home to and families are all like, what? What do I do now? So I'm, I'm going to throw it to Charlotte because I know she's passionate, but I'm completely passionate about building a system where peer support's everywhere but it's built by the kids for the kids with some support if they want it and by teachers for teachers and by parents for parents. Mm -hmm. Charlotte. You know, um, I'm still smiling from, we like we literally just got off a call with our last training with this youth group and we had family peer workers too because they see the value in training both the youth and the family and um, the, the growth having um, family peer workers on the call as well as the youth um, peer workers because the family got to the family peer workers got to see what the individuals were saying the individuals got to start hearing what the family perspective was and the, the dialogue that came from that was was amazing um, Robin and I talk a lot about uh, you know I like to call it the parallel process when one person in your family is struggling, the how it affects every member of the family. And we're so often we're just putting it all on the person, you know, with the mental health challenge and not taking a look at how all of us play a, a role in that our, our family's mental health story. 
Um, so the aha moments through the, the 20 sessions of this training were like, oh, oh. And, uh, but um, one of the things Robin and I um, are really, really proud of is the growth, the part of the family part of our business and, and um, people now seeing the impact that um, having family, more, more family support because the family is the one that's supporting, um, you know, on a 24-7 basis, um, the person who's struggling in the family. So um, we actually, um, and it's just it's just coming to be, but we've created a, a nonprofit called All In Family Peer Support because we've had so many organizations come forward and say, we want to support you in, in your dream of supporting the family. So it's, uh, it's going, uh, it's, it's just finishing getting its uh, charity status and uh, nonprofit. So it's all about supporting family. So Fiona, you and I will be chatting um, about what that looks like. And the impact it's having, like we have support groups that we run for families. We do one-on-one -on -one for families. And um, the change in the family stories like that we're hearing, the difference that it's making, um, it's, it's incredible. Um, so I can't talk enough about more supports for family, um, and especially now more than ever, because we're seeing so many families that are struggling. Um, no, I know. Well, and that is definitely going to help, I think, moving forward, uh, because what is school going to look like in the fall? Hopefully it's going to be back. Will it be normal? I don't think so. Uh, for, for Felicity and uh, Dami, and then maybe Judy Ann, you can chime in too. Uh, what what is normal to you? <laughs> what, what what would what would that be for you, Dami? Like it would be just like walk walk right back in, no mask, everybody hanging out. Or do you think that's? I don't think you know what normal is anymore. Like I, I feel like now I have my anxiety going back because like now I'm so used to like being by myself alone in my room all day. Now I have to like talk to people again, and it's like stressful. Like I used to talk to a lot of people before. Like I used to be very social, and now I feel like I don't know how to get back to that anymore. Like me, out of anybody wants to like go back to what normal was. I feel like I feel like emotionally I'm not ready to go back, you know, because I'm so used to. Sitting on my laptop talking to people. Now I have to talk to them face to face all the time. And yeah, it's, it's stressful. Wow. Yeah, but like normal is going to school and not worrying that maybe if you sit close to someone for too long, you're going to catch something. Or if someone is coming to school, where it's like that anxiety will be gone when it comes to like new normal. How about for you, Felicity? Well, you already expressed your anxiety of not only moving away, but you're going to be in university with thousands, hopefully, of students. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like normal is kind of, um, you know, it really depends on the person you're asking, like what does normal look like for you? And for me, normal looks like productivity. Um, you know, before all of this started, I was always, you know, in terms of school, I know I was always on top of my academics. Um, but for some reason during the pandemic, um, you know, it was fine at first, but then as, as it progressed, I found that 
Um, I would sometimes exhibit signs and symptoms of burnout. Um, I would find myself procrastinating more and more, and I couldn't understand why. Um, I kept trying to think, oh, you know, I'm supposed to be more productive now because I'm just at home. Um, I don't have to think about traveling or, like, getting ready to go out. Um, but in reality, it's really, really hard to be productive sometimes, especially when you're just at home. And when you're at home, you don't really have that work brain on, right? Like, you're not programmed to be as productive as you are. And especially for myself, um, I don't exactly live in a house where I have my own room or I have my own set working space. And so it's easier to be in that mindset or, like, um, actually be ready to work. And so for me, normal is, you know, of course, you know, I don't I want to be worrying about whether I'll be in a life or death situation every single time I go out or go to school, um, as much as I love going to school. Um, but I think just, you know, being productive again and not, and being in that go, go, go mindset again, I'm able to accomplish um, what I want to accomplish and what I feel like I should accomplish in order to feel like a normal person again. And I just want to say, like, I just want to give a shout out to Robin, Charlotte, and Fiona, and also Linda. Um, I really appreciate the work and um, focus you put into mental health because where I where I come from, um, I'm an, so I'm a new immigrant. I I've only been in in Canada for three years, and so in in my culture in the Philippines, we don't really put an emphasis on mental health anywhere, and especially in education. And I know that for myself and for my friends, that's a huge setback. And it poses so many problems, unseen problems, and unaddressed problems. And so it's really um, nice to see that it's actually being taken seriously and there's concrete action being taken um, here. And so normal for me, um, I would like to have, you know, for, for everyone really, I think that we should normalize mental health support and we should definitely have more of it. It should be more um, widespread. And I just feel that would, you know, put so much, it would improve our not only education system, but really our society so much. Should we just like um, think about that more? So, yeah. Well, thank you, Felicity. Dami, did you want to say something? Felicity was, oh yeah, Felicity was like on point. Um, it's really hard for like immigrant like children to come here and then like, like, like the said, like back, like, for me, uh, mental health was never talked about. If you're having mental issues, you're weak and you don't want to be weak. And <laughs> like for so many years, I was I thought maybe like there was something like wrong with me because like in school, like back home, they give you like so much work. Like I remember getting home at like three and still doing homework to like ten. And I couldn't, I wanted to be a child, if that make any sense. And then I came here and I had choices on what I could do. And I had like privileges and I had freedom, not like freedom of like, but like I had freedom to like enjoy childhood. And then now learn about myself and what I need to authorize was very eye opening. Because it was like, oh, that was, that was oh, that was what was wrong with me. Like that's very normal to be anxious and have anxiety, but it was never taught. So it's like I the only weird one. So like, please. Oh, we're kind of losing. 
Losing your internet, Dami. It was like, thank you to all the teachers that have, like, if you feel stressed, hear me? Yes, I think you're getting better. Oh, okay, yeah, sorry. I don't know what's going on. I'm not using it, but it's a sleeve. But like, yeah, um, Felicity was right. It was very, it was very great to talk to teachers and meet teachers who actually cared about my mental health and was ready to help me um, get through problems and anxiety that I had. So like, like Felicity said, thank you to like all the teachers that put mental health first because it really helped me like figure it out and more focus on my education. Well, thank you so much, Dami. That's, you know, that's what we're here for is for you to listen and to, and to help. Judy Ann, quickly too, I mean, we talked about students and now the teachers. Normalcy. With my support role, um, I think, well, I actually attended one of Fiona's uh, workshops for our division, and I always have in my bag now just like a bag of Starbursts, like individually wrapped Starbursts. She told us about the process of chewing and how that just helps you to calm down. So whenever I have, I just kind of pivoted in um, my last block in particular, I was focusing just on numeracy. That's what the school had wanted. Um, but as we had to make that shift, I remember talking to at a staff meeting and saying, well, I'm here to support you. Um, and, they're, and they're nodding their head and I said, and I mean support you, like it doesn't have to be math. And there was just this collective sigh of relief. Um, and so I, what I had done was I had just created an office hours um, time at the end of the day for me that they knew where to find me. Um, and they would come in and, you know, typically they'd have a question to start off with related to teaching. And it uh, kind of went from there um, to become more about what, what they needed as an educator, right? So it wasn't just about the pedagogy. And I, and I tell them, like, yes, of course, it's important, but you need to be at your best self in order to even think about that next step, right? So, so we do a lot of focusing on, like, how can I help you? Like, it's not about the math right now. It's not about literacy. Like, what do you need to make this easier for you at this time. Um, so my normal has kind of shifted to that. Whereas I, before the pandemic, I actually began this role just in 2020. Um, so I had to even make that pivot in March for my own role. Um, but when I began, my, my biggest problem was, you know, being a grade four, five, six teacher for, for the bulk of my career, suddenly coming in, I was supporting nursery kindergarten. And my biggest issue was how do I help these really, really, really little people? Like they're so, they're so young and they're so excited, but I just did not have the energy. Like I didn't know how to do that. And looking back now, I'm like, what a privilege that was. And that was my biggest problem was how do I shift teaching practices for nursery? How do I teach literacy in, in nursery? Um, but for now, you know, just shifting to, yeah, what is it that students need, mm -hmm. families need? What is it that the teachers need? And even beyond that, my, a lot of my meetings have been with administrators. And they have so much on their plate. It's unbelievable. Um, and so even just giving them time to just sit and just talk and just bounce ideas off of each other, um, that, that's been really helpful, I find. But it, it's a lot, of, um, a lot of looking at the support staff that they have in the building too, right? What, what do people need? It has kind of been my big question um, as I'm coming into schools and working, working with people. Wow, how things have changed. I see Linda's, you're, Linda, you're busy writing. <laughs> she laughs. Um, and then I want to bring Fiona into this too. So tell us, Bill 64, I go walking for walks and I see all these signs saying no to Bill 64, no, 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 no. And I'm going, because my kids aren't in the school system anymore, but I did a bit of reading on it, basically. It's pretty radical, but fill us in. 
Oh, you're on mute again. Thank you for the reminder. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm not an expert by any stretch. Um, I've probably read some of the same things you have. Uh, I'm I'm trying to keep in the loop. I, I certainly have contact with a lot of people who are still involved in teachers, both friends and and close family. Um, but as I as I attended one of the, um, um, the regional meetings for the um, group that uh, put together the recommendations that came before Bill 64, um, I was surprised at how at how I got us. Well, maybe I wasn't surprised, but I got a sense that there was already some plans as, as to where this was going to go and it wasn't I, I didn't feel that the input around the table was necessarily input that was going to make a great deal of change um, and ironically the, the predictions I made afterward were pretty much what what I saw to some degree when when I saw the documents um, I guess the big thing that bill 64 um, does is remove school boards um, I certainly I worked with lots of board members through the years and uh, didn't always agree with what they said, but I got to watch the process. I came to realize that they were representatives of the community. I like to think I was too because I lived in the community, but they were elected representatives. They were there because they cared about what happened to their community. They were there, and, and I know they spent hours and hours listening to people and on the phone because they were the first place to go if somebody was was really worked up about something. Um, they spend a lot of time in their careers becoming educated on how to work as a board, how to work with people, uh, what's going on with education. I saw at least one of them get a master's in education because of interest in it from working with the board. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty steep learning curve at times. Um, all in all, I came to respect and admire the people that took the time out of their lives and spent much, much, much more time than I think they were ever monetarily compensated for um, working on education in their community and getting to know their community. So I think uh, the, the whole notion of moving decision-making further away from the community uh, leaves me with lots of concerns. I, uh, I have a hard time seeing that as positive. Um, our, I'm also concerned that um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of hard and fast um, fact going along with it. When I read the first description of Bill 64, a lot of the things that they mentioned that they might do uh, were already being done. I think they talk about parents having some input in um, hiring teachers and principals. Well, if you read it carefully, input in the process, yes. And that's that's always been, that was something when I was working, I can remember going out and meeting with parent councils and saying, you're going to have a new principal next year. Tell me about the qualities that are gonna fit your school. And tell me about what you would like your principal to be able to do. Give me some ideas as to what 
we should be looking for that you see from from your point of view. Um, it, I think some of what I heard advertised made it sound like they were going to parents were now going to be involved in the uh, direct hiring and the direct evaluating and so on. That kind of flies in the face of some of the stuff in the uh, Constitution of Canada and to some of the privacy legislation that's out there. It's a little, it's a little bit of a sleight of hand, I think, in some of the conversation. Um, I don't think there's a lot of substance out there when they're questioned on it. Uh, suddenly there's a new committee that's being formed. I think if you're going to make changes, the committee should come first. You know, the, the first, the cart for the, or the horse before the cart, if you will. Um, and I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing a lot of preparation. Um, the simplest one is they announced they're going to, to eliminate school boards and save $40 million that they can put into frontline classroom. Um, I look at numbers of school boards and numbers of trustees. And when I figure the number of trustees that we have and the, and the fact that they make under $20,000 a year, um, any, way I, any way I work it out, I can't, um, when I tried to inflate every figure, if you eliminated all the, the trustees that you're going to have, I, at most, you're going to get five or six million dollars, if that. I doubt it. So if they'd come up with this figure, it should have come from somewhere. And when people ask them about where it came from, they should be able to tell you. I just am feeling that a lot of this is coming out of... Um, perhaps at the same place, and maybe I'm shaken because of the healthcare um, situation we have, but I think a lot of this is coming out of the need to save money. And I'm, I, I'm really concerned when they start talking about, you know, looking for places that, that do things cheaper than we do. Um, I think um, one of the earlier speakers made mention of the fact that Manitoba has some very specific needs in terms of um, suicide rates and um, and poverty rates and such, and uh, I I think going out to just get the, uh, the the cheapest model we can find is is perhaps going to um, really do us a dis do our kids a disservice. Um, I'm concerned that there hasn't been a lot of, of um, consultation with people who have educational backgrounds. I think there is incredible amounts of wisdom out there in, in our educators and in our superintendents, and I'm going to sound biased for saying that, superintendents departments, in our, uh, our other, our, our teachers, um, in all of those people who have education expertise. Um, I, I think there needs to be some consultation done there. Um, and I'll go back and tell you that, uh, you know, when, when I mentioned earlier that if trust is a fundamental, again, this session I listened to yesterday talked about that the components of trust uh, that they wanted to draw our, my attention to were compassion, character, competency, commitment, connection, contribution, and consistency. And I think I could go down that list and say that for some of the things that I am 
reading that seems somewhat incomplete, other than at the financial level and the control level, I've got doubts in many of those levels. I think, I'm not saying that we don't need to change education. Um, I don't think the mental health supports are there to the level we need at this point. Um, I think we need to constantly be trying to build those bridges between um, various kinds of communities and in schools and figure out how to work together. Um, I think we need to look at funding and how it's uh, how it's doled out. Some of the funding formulas are a gazillion years old. Um, are they the right ones to make sure that everybody gets the right dollars to take care of the kids that need to be taken care of? I think in terms of, uh, of planning, I mean, curriculum is always a moving is a moving target. You know, we forget that's that's one of the main fundamentals of education, and yet sometimes we don't even get to it. Um, I look at the importance of preparation for our kids that are going to go on to pre to post secondary education. Um, what are we doing to to make sure that the curriculum is as strong as it can be? How do we make sure it can all be done? We keep throwing things at school and say, you know, add this on or that crisis happened, let's add this in, let's add that in. The comment about teachers don't even have time to talk to one another, that's very real. Um, I watched some teachers struggle with the, the whole virtual learning. Um, depending on where you are in your career, that might have been a real challenge. But in the world of today, sometimes you don't have the time to, to keep up with those things. Uh, some of them got the fast track, and I know that increased their stress as well. Others are, are finding it's great, but um, it, it, you know how do you how do you address things like that? How does professional development move along? How do you and how do you evaluate things as you go along? The 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 conversation again about um, um, more standardized testing. Um, that's just uh, anybody who's been in a classroom or near a classroom knows that evaluating where kids are at can't be done with um, multiple choice uh, pencil and paper tests at all times. There, it's, it's much broader than that. It's much bigger than that. And it's got to be in, within a context of, of the fact that we have all kinds of kids in our classrooms who go, are going to a multitude of different vocations in their future. And things have to be adjusted as you go along to make sure that there's a fit for all of them. Because we always tend to look at either, you know, helping one area or another. We've got to help them all and we've got to make sure that they all have a route to go and a plan to, to head to, to A, be successful and happy themselves, and B, to make the contributions that we all need. I think the pandemic was a great leveler in showing us that people that were doing jobs that some of us would have said, oh, that's not such a big deal. That's a lower paid job. It's not important. Some of those became of the utmost importance during the pandemic. And I would argue that they are all the time. We've just recognized it now. Yeah. So I think, I think I worry about the shallowness of what I'm reading in this and the fact that it's bypassing incredible banks of educational expertise. And I think that the, um, 
that the local focus with people from the community who care very much and who commit to working really hard and to just sort of say that's not a big deal um, is concerning. And then when you look at, um, at the way they're putting things together, when I look at um, you know, a school division, when you list their, their 15 areas, the fact that one of them has a little over 2,000 students and another one has a little over 100,000, it, it doesn't um, hang together for me. Wow. I have concerns. I'm not saying I don't want changes. I'm not saying that education shouldn't be constantly evolving because, yes, it should. Wow. But I think there's a more thoughtful level. I, I'm, mm. I'm not confident enough that um, having a politician or two overlook it and pass that down the, down the line. I worry about how many steps that makes for communication for people that have a concern. I worry about how many steps there might be just to get the jobs done, how much paperwork and how many, how many pieces of paper you have to fill out to get a package of full scap if <laughs> everything is. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Oh my goodness. Well, okay. So Linda has definitely expressed her fears and that I guess kind of takes me like a round, round robin question. To all of you panelists, what is one or two or maybe three of your biggest fears in the education system, regardless of Bill 64 or could be that? Fiona, we know. We know mental health, but how do we make that? And maybe you have some more fears. Well, I guess one of the things that I was thinking as I was listening to everyone talk, and I mean, we have really hard data on this now. So um, out of the University of Winnipeg, Dr. Sokol and her team um, did a study on Canadian teachers and specifically Manitoban teachers. And I think that, you know, it's incumbent upon us to really look at that. And that report you know, uh, really focused even on, you know, Robin, you were talking about peer support. It's about organizational change. It's about making space. So it's not Fiona, you're having a hard time because of this pandemic, you're anxious or depressed, you go fix you. It's not about that. It's about recognizing that everybody, families, educators, our students, that everybody will be dealing with the trauma of COVID and you know Felicity you were saying and and Dami I think you were both talking a little bit about not having motivation at times and I should I'm at home well that's a traumatic response to hard stuff right that is trauma right and and that is how we respond to it so how it is looking so when I think about my fears my fears are that we're not going to look at, we already have so much data, you know, in the province, even now I'm getting called to do, you know, evaluations on thrival, evaluations on other projects. And, um, you know, they want to cut costs. And I just said, you can't afford to cut costs right now. And in fact, we need more because all of these like tier one programs are amazing, but we also need some tier three. We don't have enough supports in our province to catch those of us that are struggling the most. They're not there. They are not there. I think we might have 13 psychiatric beds for youth. That number might be different, but many of those were even taken away from um, because of COVID. So my fears for education is mental health is a barrier to learning, right? And when we're not well, we're not going to be learning. And that's our educators. That's our leaders. That's our families. Um, and it needs a, a holistic response. It needs a human response. This is a human issue, right? And it's not something that, you know, this is not 
a political, like this is a human response, you know, and I think we need to, to do that. And um, so making space, I hope that, you know, instead of just talking about my fears, I guess I want to talk about my hopes because it kind of talks about that. I hope we're going to heed the warnings that we have, that we're going to look at our data, that we're going to create that space that provides meaningful support and change. Um, we were in a mess in this province pre-COVID. I can't even tell you what it's going to look like. We can't even find a lot of kids. And that's the truth. Nobody's talking about it, but we're missing a lot of kids, right? Um, and there's a lot of systems you know, we're working really hard to work together. And I know a couple of folks we've been talking about, like this isn't education responding to education. This is every system responding to education, to child welfare, to mental health, to justice, because they all trickle into one another, right? Yeah. So how can we come together? How can we support? If we don't support our educators, we're screwed. I'm sorry, that's not a very nice clinical term, but that's just the truth. I had, I had another word that started with an F, but I thought I'd be good not say that. But, um, but that's all you know, good here. But no, wow, that's we have crazy. to support them. That, that's, and that's heartbreaking. Missing missing children, like mm -hmm. wow. Well, they're just not at school, school. right? And, and you don't know. Yeah, you're calling a child welfare agency, and they can't go to a home because of COVID, right? So it is, and and nobody's talking about this stuff. There is so many things that our province is not talking about that are appalling absolutely appalling and you know we have the highest rate of you know victimization in Canada too because our kids are being like online sexual exploitation nobody wants to talk about that because when our kids are given you know their stuff um you know as parents you hope and pray that they're doing their schoolwork you don't know I don't know what the heck my kids are doing I'd love to say I did I don't I hope that that's they're doing schoolwork I'm sure I don't know that right and so now we're seeing these high high rates of sexual exploitation of our kids um it's created a perfect storm. And I, I really don't want to be a Debbie Downer. Have we seen amazing resilience? Absolutely, we have. But this has caused, so my fears, this has caused some pieces that are going to be very hard to come back on. And also people talk about returning to normal. Do you know how hard that is again, especially for folks who have, you know, anxiety disorders, social phobias, things like that. Like now, you know, some people have actually blossomed in this Um Mm -hmm. fake reality kind of right because they haven't had to go out and and all the folks you know who are already struggling with germs things like that now this is just going to be exacerbated for a long long time so um i think it's going to take a long time to get back to normal if there ever was such a thing right so i just hope that we could do our best to be kind and to be human and to do the right thing which isn't always the easy thing um i think that you know the government doing bill 64 was kicking people when they were down like you took a group of people who were already at their very wits end trying their very best every day mm -hmm. and then dropped a massive bomb like that and i mean i think that just sets the stage and tells you exactly where you know how, how those folks are being yeah. thought of or, or treated wow i mean i it's you're right things we need to start talking more felicity and dami hopes and fears Personally, I feel like, you know, the biggest thing that I've noticed, you know, when I got here and and got into the education system, I always couldn't help but compare it to how it was back in my country because that's the only, you know, um, that's what my lived experience is and I can't help but compare it all the time. Um, and one thing that I noticed is sometimes there is a lack of voice from the students. Um, so I would say that this happens in the classroom. Like when we have discussions in class, I don't feel like, um, there's a lot of push for inclusion for the students' voices too. You know, what do you think about this issue? Or like, um, 
what's your stance on this? That's not as, um, there's not as much of a space for that. Um, and that also extends outside of the classroom. And for as for your personal needs or your personal, um, where you feel you need support, we aren't, like personally, this is just my experience. I know I don't speak for everyone, but and I don't think I have a lot of, um, you know, I don't feel like I, have a real connection with some of the systems that we have in school. Like, I'm not, not every individual student is asked, okay, um, so what, what do you think you're, um, what do you think you need help with? You know, we don't, we don't have that kind of, um, we're not able to give as much feedback as you want to. Like, sure, we have an end of the year survey, like, what do you think the school should have? But I think that we should have that for every class, for every, um, uh, what do you call this? Every, um, uh, I don't know how to say it in English, but every um, facility that the school has to offer, like those aren't evaluated as much. And so I feel like change really starts in those small ways. Of course, you know, um, you know, big bills like Bill 60, um, um, Bill 64, I think, um, of course, that has change that affects change into the education system. But also, I think just starting small and hearing what students have to say and what you know people who are actually on the ground have to say why that is so important um it's because those are the people who are mostly affected by those changes by those big bills and yeah so i i, I also agree with linda like um voices of the community definitely matter and we should be especially during times like this um they should be the ones you should be listening to oh thank um, you i feel like Adding to what Fosidi said, like, it's just that if your teacher isn't happy, especially, like, since they stretched themselves so thin, like, if your teacher aren't happy, I feel like the quality of your education goes down. Um, imagine, you know, your teacher's thinking about, you know, how am I going to pay the rent this, you know, this month because it's not paying well. And I feel like that will affect the energy in the classroom. Um, teachers should be taken care of, like, as they should. If they're taking care of the whole future in their hands, I feel like we should give them the respect that they deserve. I'm so sorry. Um, we just, um, yeah, I'm sorry that took me off guard. But um, my fears um, is that I feel like I'm not ready for university mm -hmm. because I feel like <laughs> um, school just flipped upside down that now I feel like I'm not ready to face university anymore. Like I had big hopes in grade 11 and I was ready to like take on university, but like now it's just that I don't think I'm ready to do that yet, especially gonna be doing it like online. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, that's sorry, I I had a whole thing in my head but now it's gone with the noise. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. And if it comes back just wave a hand and we'll get back to you. Judy Ann. I think for me, I'm kind of echoing on what Fiona was mentioning and even what Dami was saying just now, um, the teacher burnout piece. I have been in schools, again, like inner city, north, south, um, and it's the same thing. I walk in there, they all look like deer in headlights when I'm in their classrooms. And these are everything from brand new teachers um, all the way up to uh, teachers who I know are in their retirement year. They have, you know, a week and a half to go, but you, you can tell that they are exhausted. 
Um, I've seen the tears going into your car to cry at lunch. I've seen that. Uh, people coming to see me with, with a question about math, how to teach math, but it ends up, you know, I always have my tissue box with me and my Starburst because I'm, I'm ready to help them because I know it's going to lead to more um, and, and to really have given that time to, to talk, but not all schools have that type of support in-house. And even with my role, I only have six weeks in this in a school uh, where I'm supporting them. And, and, you know, and we look at that model too, like, should we extend it? Should it be less so that we see more schools? Um, and it's, it's tricky. It, there's a lot of moving pieces to it. Um, but what I'm seeing across the board is, you know, I was talking to, um, in my last block, I had a student, a student teacher who ended up taking over for the rest of the term um, when she was able to. And so this was her very first experience as a classroom teacher on her own. And I told her, like, being a first year teacher is already a struggle in and of itself. It's very tough. And now you're doing this in what feels like everything's on fire. And this is how you're learning and you don't know any other way to do it. Um, so, you know, it, it's a lot of thinking about starting your career that way or ending your career that way. Um, I think there, there's a, we're at a risk of losing a lot of talented folks because they are um, finding out either that this is not for them or that they don't have strategies to cope because it's never been really discussed and shared. Um, like I've mentioned earlier, I, was, I had the privilege of being in one of Fiona's uh, professional development sessions, but not everyone does. Um, so, so we do our best to pay forward what we do know and what we learn, um, but not everyone has access to learning about how to cope and how to deal, how to communicate um, and how to be healthy for themselves and even how to prioritize that. So that's my biggest fear is, is um, the teacher burnout piece because mm -hmm. it's very, very real. Um, and my hope is that people do have access to resources and, and strategies and, and learn different ways to be able to um, help alleviate that for them and find ways to cope and, and ways to healthily cope with um, with the situations that they're in. Oh, thank you so much, Judy Ann. So Robin and Charlotte, maybe you can add some hope to this? Um, sorry, I, I, I giggled. Um, the hope piece for me is that we do hear like people starting to hear youth voices more. Like, for me, I'd love to say buy us for us, that youth actually get to design it. Um, but I think what I'm hoping for at the moment is nothing about us without us, that the system starts to include youth in all of the discussions about what it looks like because um, we don't listen enough to youth. And so... The hopeful piece is I do hear, you know, I hear tonight like people starting to want to hear those voices or have heard them in the past. And I think if we can get a groundswell of that, then maybe it will uh, end up in the, where the people who make some of the bigger decisions provincially wide will actually start to listen and not be tokenistic because I know there's lots of advisory committees and stuff and we go, oh, we'll have youth, we'll have teachers. And then it's like, oh, I heard what they said, but I'm not doing that. And my, my hope is that we actually start to hear the voices of people who live and breathe and work in the system and go to school or have just come out and share their experiences and their herds. So my hope is that 
is starting to change and it will continue to change. And maybe that's naive, um, but I'm going to live in my naivety and, and keep pushing from where I sit that it's nothing about us without us until it's by us for us. Good. Charlotte, anything to add on that? You know, I my head goes for the teachers. I reached out to a few of my friends who are teachers to, you know, to talk with you on this and they were they're just so exhausted and they just said I can't I don't have the capacity to spend a Thursday night and do this. I I just don't. So my my hope is that this summer they really take some time for themselves and take care of themselves. Um and whatever that looks like. So um because I don't want them to lose the hope of why they became a teacher in the first mm -hmm. place. Because, you know, they had hopes and dreams when they when they chose this profession. And I don't want them to lose that. So that's where my head goes. Um, and, uh, and I hope, uh, like a few of them, they said, will you call me in July? Because I, I, I do want to talk with you. So my hope is that when I call them in July, the world will be a little bit normal and I can go and visit them in uh, in their backyard so that's yes. why well send them all of our love too and yeah. lastly linda your hope then maybe we've talked about your fear <laughs> you're you're still muted you'll have to unmute yourself my hopes are are always vested in optimism. I, I have the good fortune of having seen um, education grow over 40 years and see it improve. And it has fought through some tough times and uh, come back to, to, to grow and, and move ahead. Um, I, think, um, I think when I hear students talking about um, that there needs to be uh, more involvement and more listening and, uh, and others mentioned that as well. I think that's starting to happen. I'm optimistic that it will keep happening because I think young people like this are going to are going to demand that it happens. Um, and I think uh, uh, teachers that see success as they as they're building, strong relationships uh, uh, come to value those and, and, you know, success begets more success. And uh, I would like to see that move along. Um, I'm, I'm optimistic that some of the, uh, uh, the, the stresses of uh, the pandemic are going to mean that, um, that people look at education, that we're going to grow from it. Um, some good things happen. Some good things happen in the virtual world. Um, we found out that some kids adapt better than others. For some kids, it was, in some respects, an answer to their learning styles. Um, we have to now figure out how do we move ahead and keep, and keep the good from both before and, and after and, and then make the system better. Anytime there's a shakeup, there's an opportunity for, for, for change. Um, even, the, uh, even the governmental stuff, I, I, uh, my biggest criticism, as I've said, is I don't think there's enough substance there. I'm thinking this is meaning that people are going to um, have a good look at education and maybe become more active participants. I would throw out the, the 
advice to absolutely everyone to do some reading about Bill 64. Um, look at things like um, the uh, Manitoba Teacher Society website. Um, read the government pages that, and, and look at the substance that they've put out. Um, look at the School Boards Association um, perspective from it. Um, one of my uh, one of my favorite professional development um, uh, experiences was something that I, a day when I was in a session where I really wasn't that impressed, and um, they ended up doing. I, I went to a to a session that the presenter's husband was doing. He was kind of the pit crew, and he ended up talking about when you have a problem. Think about it from different perspectives. And he actually had people stand in a square. And you stood in one position, he'd say, okay, think of your problem. Think of everything for and against it in your mind. He'd say, well, then move to the other side of the square, face the other way. Think about somebody else that's looking at it. Can you think of anything that they would see that you haven't seen? And he had to go the four squares. And the, I think the next square was, think about who you'd phone for advice about this. What do you think they'd say to you? And then the last piece of the square was, okay, does it look any different to you now than it did when you started? And I had just been wrestling with something at school before I left. And it just absolutely blew me away. And it, it sort of summed up the fact that um, keeping in mind everybody's perspectives brings a better solution than just trying to muddle through on your own. And I'm hoping that what's coming out of this, my optimism says, let's take a look at absolutely every perspective and try and find the good in all of them because none of them are all good and none of them are all bad. But let's see if we can take away all of the good and not just live in the past. Mm. Well, thank you, Linda. And you know what? Uh, we've covered so much. We've learned so much. Uh, I would like to see these conversations continue because uh, there's still so much work to be done. But tonight, I really want to thank all of you for coming. Thank you, especially Felicity and Dami, um, to give us an insight on the youth and continue to have a voice and continue to ask for support and help because there's so many good people out there. You've met all of these wonderful people tonight. Uh, thank you so much to Fiona. I know it's a lot of work to be done, and you really kind of opened up a watershed. Um, it's not a pretty picture, but I think that we definitely all as a collective can help. And thank you so much, Judy Ann, too, as well. What you do in the school is amazing. And of course, thank you, Mrs. Baxter, as always. <laughs> Anyways, okay, have a great reopening weekend. But don't overdo it, <laughs> but enjoy a little bit more freedom and have a wonderful summer, all of you. So again, we can still say stay safe and healthy. Thank you so much and thank you everybody for watching tonight. Good night.
for listening. This has been a production of ILikeQ.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.